The Bible Study Podcast, episode 219. Today, the Bible Study Podcast wraps up the study of Daniel. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Now, I say wraps up the study of Daniel. Some of you may be a little disappointed because we are not doing, as I said at the beginning, all of the different chapters of Daniel, in part because we're getting into some very obscure prophecy. And it's not clear to me what these things mean, and people have been debating it and arguing about it for years. And I also don't think it's as important because it is a debatable issue. So what we're going to do is we read Daniel 1 through Daniel 7. Daniel 7 started this section on prophecy. We're going to skip Daniel 8. You can go back and look at that on your own if you like. We're going to do Daniel 9, and we'll see why here in a little bit, and then skip 10 through 12. So you can read those four missing chapters on your own if you like. If you get clear insight from them, then let me know what you learn. So Daniel's prayer is chapter 9. And this is an interesting chapter because, remember, Daniel was one of those people who was one of the captives taken from Jerusalem, taken when the fall of Judah happened, and first taken by the Babylonians and then liberated by the Babylonians and serves in Persia. But before the fall of Judah, the prophet Jeremiah had predicted that Judah would fall and had predicted that Judah would stay in exile for 70 years. And what happens here in Daniel 9 is Daniel starts to realize that the 70 years are coming to a close. So Daniel, the prophet or seer, is basically looking backwards to the prophecies of Jeremiah and praying that they will come true as Jeremiah saw them. Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Now I want to pause here for a second because the two kings that we've named here are kings that if you have read your history, you will recognize. Darius the son of Xerxes, because both Darius and Xerxes are the Persian kings who invade Greece and lead to the Battle of Thermopylae and the Battle of Marathon also. So a lot of famous Greek-Persian history happens with these two particular Persian kings. And Persia is not, this particular version of the Persian Empire is not the big man on the block for very long because that will trigger a reaction later on from the Greeks who will reinvade Persia under Alexander the Great and conquer all of Persia. But at this point in time, they are the big kids on the block. They have been defeated, or Xerxes has already been defeated, and Darius is about to be defeated by the Greeks, by the smaller Greek city-states. But at this point, they are still the kings of Persia. Darius is the king of Persia. So in this time period, Daniel has this realization that the time has come, so he starts to pray. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of Israel. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes and our ancestors, are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. So Daniel understands that the reason why he has spent much of his life in exile is because of the unfaithfulness of Judah and also the unfaithfulness of Israel. Israel has disappeared completely by this point, having been taken away by the Assyrians. But he realizes and he prays this prayer that God will forgive them because they have sinned against him. He understands that God had put a protective wall around this little kingdom of Judah. And as long as they were faithful, as long as the people of God were faithful, he protected them from all comers. It wasn't that they were so mighty or so great. It was when God was on their side and God was on their side when they were faithful to God. And what happened is that when they were unfaithful, when they started serving the gods of the locals, the gods, the Baals, the Baals, and the Asherahs, then God took away his protection and they were carried off into exile. And so at this point, he's in sackcloth and ashes, which is a sign of mourning, a sign of penitence. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. We have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, one thing there is not quite true, and that is that the Lord did not hesitate. The Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them this was coming. So God actually hesitated quite a lot. God waited quite a lot and really let their sin build up while he gave them more chances. But at some point, God said, that's enough. You've had enough chances. And so this disaster came. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear our prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. 
Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And so Daniel prays that God will calm down, that God will stop being angry, because God was angry with them. God was angry because they turned away from him. And the picture that he uses, remember the prophet Hosea, who was told to marry a prostitute as the people of God had prostituted themselves with other gods. Think of the husband of the unfaithful wife. That's the anger that God has. And Daniel says, I ask that you set aside your anger, not because of us, but because we bear your name, because of you because of your mercy. Mercy, remember, is when we don't get the punishment we do deserve. Judah has been punished at this point, but also there was this promise that the punishment would not be forever, that it would last 70 years. And Daniel hears this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and seventy-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple he was set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, you have to understand one thing. We're reading this chapter, chapter 9, because of all of the chapters here from chapter 8 through chapter 12, this is the one that makes most sense to me. And I say that because you may have noticed that right around the time we got to the 77s, it started making a little less sense than we would like. Let's see if we can figure this out a little. There are some things in this that are interesting and clear, and some things that are a little unclear, and some things that are very unclear. So let's start with the things that are clear. Daniel has just prophesied that the anointed one of God will come. I don't know if you noticed that, but he says, from the time that goes out to restore Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be, and then he gives this math problem, which is apparently a word problem. So he has prophesied, it is clear that the anointed one of God will come. He has also prophesied that the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. 
And then he has further prophesied that the city will be destroyed as well as the sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary is destroyed now, so clearly it has to be rebuilt, and it will be, it is about to be rebuilt under Ezra and Nehemiah. But he predicts whatever the resulting math yields, at that time, the city will be destroyed in the sanctuary. So Messiah will come, Messiah will die, and the sanctuary will be destroyed and the city will be destroyed. And then there will something come that he calls the the abomination that causes desolation. That is the part that I would say is less clear. So we've got clear, Messiah coming, Messiah, uh, Messiah and anointed one, same thing. Christ is the same word. The anointed one will be put to death, and then the city and the temple will be destroyed again. And then less clear, the math problem. We'll get to that in a second. And then still less clear is what this abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed is poured out on him. So we, we have this other thing that'll go on in the temple that I'm less sure about and that people have great debate about. Now let's get into that math problem. 62 sevens. We get seven sevens and 62 sevens. It is generally believed that when we're talking about this, we're talking about a week of years that the seven sevens means seven times seven years. And so the general math that people do, and now, of course, remember, they're doing this going backwards. They're not doing this from Daniel going forwards to try and figure out what happened. But we're trying to see if the facts line up with what we understand. And so they're sort of saying, okay, it sounds like we're talking about a series of years. And if we have a series of years, some people have calculated that Well, the year that he's talking about would be a lunar year, which is five days short of an actual year, because they did use a lunar calendar, 360 days. And they figure out that this number of sevens you're talking about there, roughly from the time that the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem to roughly the time that Jesus is crucified, is this math problem. Now, a couple problems there. One is we don't know exactly when Daniel is. We we have a good idea, but we don't know the exact year. And there's some unclarity in terms of when Jesus lives and dies, because we don't believe, for instance, that Jesus is born in 0 AD, more likely in 6 AD, and dies sometime around 33 AD, dies and is resurrected. I don't want to skip over that, even though Daniel does. And so that comes out to be about right, as long as you're willing to say that years only have 360 days. And granted, some people are willing to say that, and some people are not. But it is interesting to know that Daniel is predicting the coming of Messiah in roughly the right time period for when Jesus comes. And and unlike so many predictions of the Messiah, this is not the conquering Messiah that is predicted, but this is the suffering Messiah. And the Old Testament prophets have two different pictures of the anointed one, which gave people problems because how could the Messiah fulfill both of these? Of course, if you're people that are persecuted, if you're people that are occupied, you tend to focus more on the words that promise the conquering Messiah. Daniel doesn't hear. Daniel promises a Messiah, an anointed one of God, a Christ, who will come and die. And shortly thereafter, Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed, which they were by the Romans not that long after, within a generation of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. 
So the interesting part of this is that within the prophecies of Daniel, Daniel is predicting things here that have probably already come to pass. And it looks like the math sort of works, you know, as long as you're willing, again, to say that we're talking about lunar years and not and not other years. And some people are and some people aren't. But Daniel has is given this picture that God has a plan. And we also see this tied into Jeremiah, that 70 years previous to Daniel, that God had a plan, that all of this is laid out as part of a larger plan of God. And that, I think, is fairly clear from these verses. All the details and what God is doing and how he is doing his math problem. You know, for those of you who don't like word problems, I apologize, but Daniel is giving us a big one here. But it's clear that Gabriel comes and says, okay, Jeremiah is told you're going to go into exile. You're right, you're going back from exile. And then the next step is the anointed one of God is going to come. But by the way, you're going to reject him and kill him. And then Jerusalem will be destroyed again. But this is all part of a larger plan. And I say that because it is the understanding that God has a plan that makes some verses in the Bible that are unclear still clear in the sense that in our lives still today, I think there's a lot of things that are unclear, a lot of things that are math problems, a lot of things that take some interpretation and that we may get wrong. But the one thing that I still think remains clear is that God continues to have a plan for you, for me, and for his people. And with that, we're going to end this study of the book of Daniel. And I apologize if you wanted me to do the whole book, but again, I never promised I would. If you have any questions on this study or this book or this chapter, feel free to leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or send me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.